Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week, Michael and I sit down to discuss our summers and some ballet recently in the news. We recorded this episode before the devastating news came last week that the dance world had lost two greats, Paul Taylor and Peter Frame. We do not feel it appropriate to publish this week's episode without mentioning these two who impacted dance on a grand scale and who also impacted our careers directly. Firstly, we never met Paul Taylor, but we both had the great pleasure of dancing quite a few of his works. These works offered up some of our most memorable and challenging onstage moments. We felt as if we got to know Paul through his dances and through his repetitors who staged the ballets on us. We will always treasure the moments of dancing these works. As for Peter Frame, I only had a short experience with him when he came to Miami City Ballet to share his solo for episodes that Paul Taylor created on him. Michael had the pleasure of being his student. Whether you knew him just a short time or came in contact with him on a regular basis, it was clear to everyone that Peter was a truly selfless, humble, and beautiful human being. He truly wanted to bring joy to any person he touched. His legacy will live on through the audiences who watched him dance and the students who he mentored. Rest in peace, Paul Taylor and Peter Frame. Now, conversations on dance. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Hello. Hi, Michael. <laughs> Hi. How are you? Good. I'm excited to do our semi annual. Uh, one-on-one chat. I know. They're happening a little bit more often recently. A little more often. Well, yeah. because we, we get requests for them. People yeah. like us. People do like <laughs> us. We get, we, yeah, we get positive feedback and good stats, which we like. So we're happy to do that. And it's September and it's been a little while since we've done this. So we want to talk a little bit about our summer and maybe mm-hmm. some of the things we have coming up as well. Mm-hmm. Which are exciting. So, 
Let's talk about Vail first. Let's talk about Vail. So we went, um, we're still releasing content. Obviously, we've got a lot left going on there. Uh, we just released one of our, our favorite episodes ever. Mar- it's, a, it's a shame Margaret didn't come out before our top 10 list. Because she would have definitely been on there. I know. Um, but we were there twice as long this year, and we got a lot of great content. And I also just think it was um, an especially um, nice marker for you and I personally to see how we've changed in the course of a single year in a a new life yeah because the first time we went we were very unsure of ourselves it was our first gig uh outside of being dancers and a lot of it was jarring we we had a, a great experience overall but it was kind of us dealing with the growing pains of being uh in a new role yeah, we were so you were so recently retired. I was still in a boot from surgery. We were so used to going on a tour like that. And the last time we'd been in Vail was to be um, with the Vail Dance Festival dancing. So it was a little weird to not be doing that. And I think also some some people were like, what are you doing here? But they were just yeah. being so sweet. They wanted to know and ask us. And we felt like, well, we're not dancers anymore. What are what yeah. are we? It was a lot of that identity discussion that we have about you know mm-hmm. that's one uh, one of the many issues with no longer dancing is um, you you feel like you've lost who you are. Yeah. Like what do you do becomes like an aggressive, uh, terrifying question rather than just like a normal small talk moment. Totally. Yeah. Everyone's just asking because they just want to know more about you. And you're like, what do you mean? But I think it was really we talked about it so much while we were there that it was really nice for us to have a moment a whole year later after so much change had happened in our lives to see um, how different everything was. And I think it was like a really big moment for us to just be like, Mm -hmm. it's okay. We're going to be okay. We have things going on. We're contributing in a different way. Yeah. I I was particularly proud of the fact that to compare year to year that the uh, that we would go and people would ask us what why we were there and we didn't really know <laughs> and, you know um, there was that moment of insecurity now we, what what the work that we put in last year people liked it enough that they were genuinely excited to have us back so not only did people know why we were there and what we were doing but we kind of just made this for ourselves. So it was mm-hmm. very, um, you know, I, you feel a sense of accomplishment for having done something out of nothing. And now people come up to us, you know, on the street there or, it, you know, in a restaurant or after a talk or whatever, and tell us how much they love the work we do. So it's a new identity. It's the same kind of satisfaction that you get when someone comes up after a show to mm-hmm. you to say like, oh, the ballet is beautiful. You guys are so wonderful. Then like to have people come up to us after, like a lot of people after the West Side Story talk we did mm-hmm. said that they really enjoyed that. And that, that gives you the same, a similar sense of accomplishment. It's yeah. like, it's performative in a different way. Yeah, there was um, a couple that stopped us. We were, I think it was like our only night off we had and we were waiting for a table at dinner and a couple came by and they were like, were you the ones that did the talk today at, for West Side Story? We really loved it so much. And, and like the husband was funny because he was like, I'm so sorry about her. And I was like, no, no, it, like we liked it. It was so nice. And we had such nice, engaging conversations with so many people. We were there um, 
there was someone there from San Francisco and he said that he'd been listening to our podcast and we're like, oh, we were just in San Francisco. And he's like, yeah, I know. I was at your talk. And we're like, what? It was, yeah. There's just so many dance lovers, ballet lovers there that travel to be there that it's really cool to feel um, like a part of it and that we're um, contributing something. And this, Michael, is something we've wanted to talk about actually for a while is before we went to Vail, we got a really lovely email um, from a couple who right. um, the wife is ill and they've been to Vail in the past and they were not able to go this year and had to cancel their trip um, because of her illness. And this is the second year they've had to cancel it. And they were actually letting us know they wanted to offer us their tickets, which was, was so lovely. And they also wanted to let us know to give the tickets for our live events away so that other people um, could come, but they mentioned to us how last year when they were not able to go, they found our podcast and they felt like they were able to be a part of Vail and be there and get a behind the scenes view without actually traveling there. So that was a story that touched us so deeply and was so wonderful to hear. And we hope that um, we were able to provide them with a similar feeling this year. And as we continue to publish uh, from the Vail Dance Festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really special thing to hear. Yeah, it was very yeah, nice. You know, it makes you feel, because like we, we always say, sometimes it feels like, I mean, we are just talking to one another over the phone, mm-hmm. like any normal phone conversation. You can forget that people are actually listening. Yeah. So yeah. it's nice that we can have an impact. And that's the thing, too, that's so different for us from performing. Normally, we do a performance and we go, you know, we leave and there's people at the stage door and we can have like a real back and forth about the performance. But for us, so often, like you're saying, we're just in a room or we feel like we're speaking into a void. So it was really great to connect with um, some of the listeners. And another thing that made Vale fun for us this year is that you, Michael, were stepping into another role as well. I I was very lucky that... um before staging my first staging ever which when this podcast comes out it's going to be my very first day of Yay! staging um i'm staging increases with Bally arizona um and the first week i'll be joined by patricia delgado queen of conversations on dance <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh so i have that coming up and it's very very exciting but uh, a happy coincidence was that they were putting together increases um, at the Vail Dance Festival with a cast of international stars. Yeah, it was an insane <laughs> cast. It was dancers from American Ballet Theater, New York City Ballet, Boston Ballet, and then Patricia, just being Patricia, <laughs> fabulous freelance life. Um, so not only... Um, was it great to work on it a little bit before going to Ballet Arizona and setting the whole ballet from scratch? Because um, some of the dancers in in Vail had already danced it or had an idea of it. Only two dancers were really going in with no idea um, of the ballet, and that was Isabella Boylston and Devin Tucher. Devin, who we released a couple weeks ago, and Isabella, who will be on the podcast. Um, shortly. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever. (laughs) So I taught, I taught Bella the whole thing from scratch. So I I had a really great, um, 
sort of intro there. Like, you know, when you're teaching a ballet on Tuesday or the day this podcast gets released, I'm going to be staring at a room full of dancers having to teach everything all at once. So to have just me and Isabella 101 and kind of intimately go through one person's role already gave me a map of that role. So I feel like I'm one eighth of the way there, you know, Uh, (laughs) Well, and you did Devin. You worked a lot with Devin, too. And I did work with Devin a little bit, yeah. Um, Patricia taught her, and I was there mm-hmm. for some. But it was great to have that as well. So, um, yeah, it was just a really fun. It was like increases, um, crash course in staging. And also, again, very lucky that I got to work with Justin. I got to see what Justin wanted from the ballet. I got to assist him in rehearsals. Um and kind of so like find a flow before I have to really go dive in the deep end about Arizona. So it was it was a really great experience for me. Yeah. So what have you been doing to prepare for Tuesday? It's rough. You started well, Monday okay, or so Tuesday? I, Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay. Um, it's it's hard because I, so I I know that I need to notate the whole ballet mm-hmm. and um, that is rough because obviously yes there's like lob of notation and what's the banish notation i don't know that i'm not doing that for <laughs> justin then <laughs> i wouldn't do that for anyone yeah, that's um, uh, yeah i'm not, not gonna learn that so you do your own style of notation but your own like your own style of notation is just like who i don't even know if i can read it um and ultimately i don't think i'll be referencing it too much except for some traffic patterns mm-hmm. but you know, it's just like you and me having our index cards when we do our talks. Right. You need it as a crutch. Like I wouldn't, I don't want to have a moment where I'm just like blanking in front of dancers. Right. But again, it did feel sort of silly because my, my personal way of writing it out is I just write out counts mm-hmm. and I write, so like the ballet is mostly in eights and twelves, the, the first movement. So I'll just write out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And one is like saute, two is land, mm-hmm. three is. So you write that body. like down on each line, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, yeah, going yeah. down the line. Exactly. And then and then you have yeah. the eight dancers too. So I have, I'll say like what I did, what I chose to do to identify the dancers is just their initials. Mm-hmm. So I'd say D-A, D-A grabs waist, S-A sautés. But that's the original cast that you're using, right? Yes. Yeah. But then it got confusing because two people in the original cast switched parts. That's, oh my um, gosh. <laughs> so sometimes I'd be going through the potata and Daniel is on a lot of the videos that I use. Mm-hmm. Daniel Applebaum, who will also be on the podcast and was in Veil with us. Someone <laughs> we've been wanting to help podcast. Oh, yeah, we made another one cry. Yay. <laughs> we the dust. Um, but yeah, I'd be looking um, at Daniel and I just write Daniel as the potata boy, but he wasn't the original potata boy. He was a different role, so it got confusing. But right. I think it, it's a method that worked out for me. So I finally finished my notes. By the end, it was just like, it was just really killing me, and I was getting real lazy. <laughs> just because, so you know, you tedious. don't want to, you start out like, I'm going to be so good at this mm-hmm. and, and write down every little thing. But the other thing is, like, at this point, I know the ballet, I'm not going to be looking at the notes that often. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I want to teach it. It's more important that it's in my head and my body mm-hmm. than it is to have it on the piece of paper. So that's um, interesting. You talk about putting it in your body. What have you done for that? So that's friend, also a part I've of it. some studio space, mm-hmm. um, and I try things out in my little apartment. 
<laughs> but the studio space was important for sure. It's um, a huge part of remembering things for us as dancers, right? Is just that muscle memory having it in your body. Right. If you've never, if you just only do the work sitting down writing, by the time you stand up and try to show, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like not there, right? There are some parts of it where I'm a little worried. Like if I tried to get up and show, I'd be like, that's not in my body quite yet. So I still have, what, five days. So I'll be certainly continuing until the day, the moment I get there with Patricia. I'll I'm be sure even at the hotel those nights. I always feel like repetitors oh, yeah. work with them. They're like, okay, so I looked at this last night and, you know, like the next day they come in, they're like, this was, oh, yeah. I want to switch this or, you know, stuff like that. Always yeah, for sure, we're gonna, for sure. We're going to be um, having like bunhead night. I'm really excited for it. It's gonna, you're going to be mean, so course, great. Of course it's exciting, but I'm, I'm also just excited to like be back in a, it's going to be like being in a ballet company again. I mean, mm-hmm. granted in a different way, but that whole, you know, get, getting, you know, we talk about missing our schedules. Mm-hmm. Uh, I miss that regularity. Well, uh, I think, I don't know if we, maybe we already talked about this on the podcast, but we were talking about how right before Vail, we started getting the schedules in our email. <laughs> and I, I texted Michael and I was like, I don't know if this seems weird, but seeing those schedules makes me feel like part of something. It makes me feel really happy. Yeah. Like, it was really, and our names aren't even on them. <laughs> Like, I mean, it was like at the bottom if we had a live event or anything. And when we got there, it was there. But it wasn't like we weren't on the rehearsal schedule. But it was just, yeah, feeling a part of something. And your name's going to be in all those schedules. Yeah. Really good. In a new column. Yeah. In a new column. You're going to have a column all by yourself. (laughs) Breeden Delgado. (laughs) You're going to do great. I'm excited. I really think we should do a, a Skype with you and Pat. From That would be fun. Yeah. To follow up on like how it's going. Because we talk... I guess we've only had one ballet master on the podcast, Katita Waldo, right? That's all we've had so far. Right. Well, we've had repetitors, though. But we've had repetitors, exactly. But I think that there's obviously so many, so few of them compared to dancers. So I think it would be really great to kind of hear a little bit more about your journey and how it's going. Right. Yeah. I mean, because it, it'll be my first anything. So we can get it as it's happening. Yeah. And then we'll just follow your career, Michael. Yeah. It's just so funny to think about how yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be funny to be on the other side. I can't um, wait to hear all about it. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about a few more things after this break from our brand new sponsor that we're super excited to introduce you guys to. It's a brand that we are both fans of for a long time. We've both been fans of for a long time. And um you know, I think it comes with a lot of and you hear the name and it's it has a lot of integrity, and so we couldn't be more excited than to be attached to yeah. this brand we're that we're going honored. to reveal now. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> we are thrilled to announce that we are welcoming a wonderful new sponsor to Conversations on Dance, Yumiko. As avid fans and consumers of Yumiko's quality and personalized dancewear, we are thrilled to partner with this exceptional company. Founded in 2002, Yumiko creates long-lasting and great-fitting dance and athletic wear of the highest quality. What began as a small collection of leotard designs has grown into a phenomenon that has redefined the dancewear industry. To celebrate Yumiko's supportive conversations on dance, we are excited to be announcing a special giveaway coming later this month, so stay tuned. 
Follow us on Instagram at Conversations on Dance and at Yumiko for details on how to enter to win. And don't forget to check out their website, yumiko.com, and visit their flagship boutique in New York City featuring the all-new interactive color bar. You guys have to check this out. Now is the perfect time to experience the perfect fit of Yumiko dancewear products. All right, we're back. So we wanted to talk about a couple of things that have come out recently since we last uh, did an episode, just the two of us, one of which is the job posting for New York City Ballet's artistic director being posted online and an article in the New York Times um, kind of going through the job posting and picking it apart Mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah, we've already discussed a little bit about we talked a little bit about um, the this. Obviously, it's a huge deal. It's the third leader for New York City Ballet in over seventy years. Um, it's gonna whoever replaces um, Peter Martins is, is it's gonna be a huge deal. So we we've already brought it up on the podcast, but this the um, article in the Times is important because and the accompanying um, sort of listing job listing of. Uh, sort of like a wish list for what they want in a director is interesting because it has certain um, ideas in it that weren't a given. Uh, and for one, they've changed the the title. There's never been an artistic director. I think Balanchine very briefly held that title in the early days mm-hmm. before he became simply ballet master. Mm-hmm. And then Peter was ballet master in chief um, with Jerome Robbins and then, right. I'm, I'm muddying the specifics of it, but basically the title is ballet master. Right. So, but what is the significance of that? Do you think? Because I think historically a ballet master is someone who teaches coaches, you know, uh, make sure that their own ballets are right. Like overlooks their ballets. Right. It's someone who, who wears all the hats. Mm hmm. Um, but this artistic director position is interesting because, um, you know, it's more specifically like they're just like they're direct, literally directing art, meaning that as it's listed further on, being a choreographer is not an essential trait, which is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, breaking with tradition on that for sure. Completely new. Right. Um, Obviously, it was a very important to Balanchine that Peter choreographed. Um, you know, that new choreography is the lifeblood of any company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think now you have people who are doing such great work, and the company has fostered a lot of really special choreographic talent in the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe people are less worried about that person being the leader. You know, it's a it's a different world than it was in 1983 exactly. when Balanchine died. Um, it's a, the ballet world is a lot more global, and the, what choreographers are capable of doing um, is a lot more vast. Like Alexi and Justin are in demand in every company in the world. Right. So while taking over New York City Ballet is a huge honor, it's a it would be a major shift in their artistic focus rather than being able to create their creators, you know, like that's what makes them tick, not 
the businessy side of things. Right. Um, And I think what's interesting too is like, so we're talking about this section that says not necessarily a choreographer. What it says is an eye for talent, the ability to select the best dancers, choreographers, teachers, and coach and coaches and encourage their development. So they're looking for someone and that goes along with the artistic director title that they're looking for someone to direct (laughs) to direct art. art. (laughs) Exactly. And so they want them to be cultivating different people and different choreographers. And like you said, there's just so much opportunity for um, these big name choreographers that they might not want to be in one place when they can be all over, you know, so it does make sense now that we have more of a, um, a definition for artistic director and other companies, you know, um, a better model for it that Mm -hmm. maybe they are choosing to go in that route with it. And I think it also, of course, opens the door to a lot more people. Right. Yeah. And another thing about opening doors that you caught was that, uh, where is it about being an alumni? I, I'm always, I, I never know how to say that word. Remember when Alistair took us to task for not <laughs> saying al- <laughs> yeah, alumni. alumna. An alumna? Alumna? Uh, alumna. That's, lady, that's for ladies only. Alumna, alumnus. Alumnus. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. You guys know what we're saying. But the individual will ideally, the word is ideally coming from um, SAB or New York City Ballet, which right. is really, I feel like that's the biggest thing to unpack here because. I mean, to me, it's just like the thought of someone who didn't come from that legacy running that company seems like mm-hmm. so bizarre. And to be to perfectly think. honest, I think it really is. I think they're only referencing one person there. Speculate, Michael. Throw it I out think there. It, I think the only person that anyone could imagine coming in, having not come from New York City Ballet or SAB even, is Alexi. Right. But again, I don't think that he wants the job. I think Mm -hmm. that he wants his artistic freedom. Uh, I know he loves the company very much, but he's been on record saying multiple times that directing the Bolshoi was hard. Those were were hard times for him. Right. You know, if you're a creator and you are bogged down in like the sort of more bureaucratic sides of things... Mm -hmm then that becomes frustrating. Look at totally. Benjamin Millipier at, at Paris Opera Ballet. Yeah. That was rough. Right. You and know, t- he wanted to to make artistic change, and instead he was dealing with people who, mm-hmm. you know, weren't eager for that. Right. And the other thing, too, is while we're talking about how many doors they've left open in this job description, there's one specific one that I feel like closes off the door for a lot of people where they say, um, that this person has demonstrated artistic leadership success as a programmer and or company leader of an organization known for quality and excellence. That mm-hmm. really narrows the pool big time, I think. I mean, I think that that means that they're not interested in or they're maybe not thinking about current dancers. Well, unless those dancers have done like... Like say, Ashley Bowder has done her... The Bowder Project. Right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if we just threw that name out there because we know that she's done some things. But right, there's a lot of she's dancers. A, she's Ashley, as we know from Ashley, our interview with her. She's mm-hmm. very ambitious. I don't think she would shy away from the opportunity. Sure. But we don't know things. But like you, know, you said, too, is, and like even just a little speculative episode. Yeah, we're all all speculation. We don't know anything. But like even like so completely 
not the same company. I'm just saying like um, with Isabella Boylston of ABT where she's done her son Valley. There's a lot of dancers who've been kind of dabbling in this like sure. programming thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe those sorts of things. And it's smart because it does yeah, give them the experience too, you know. Yeah. Actually, New York City Ballet, they have all those dancers to go on gigs and mm-hmm. do like Nan- Tyler. It's Tyler Angle does Nantucket, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't know anything about anything. Yeah. So, no, I mean, no, no one no. does, I don't think. No. Um, yeah. You know that we like the tea, but the tea has been cold for a while. The tea has been cold. We can't find any tea anywhere. We can't find any tea. <laughs> um, That's gossip for... That is, <laughs> anyway. Are. No, there are dancers that I think have a little bit of that experience, even if it's not on a broader scale. Like, mm-hmm. you could look at people that would maybe be contenders again who knows if they're interested they lead very successful companies already but um new york city ballet alumni (laughs) um peter bull with pacific northwest ballet lourdes lopez miami city ballet and nikolai huba at royal danish ballet Mm -hmm. um those are people that on a grand scale have have led something that while not as large as new york city ballet that's going to look good to a board right. naturally say, Oh, they have experience like running a company, right. but you know, Ashley Bowder or, um, you know, Tyler Angle or, um, I don't, a number of those dancers in the company have run gigs uh, right. in that way. Tyler you know, Peck, Peter too. Bowl, Tyler Peck, Peter Bowl, um, when he got his job at Pacific Northwest ballet, that was something that they looked to. They said, he's kind of organized on a micro scale, uh, a situation like PNB, he had Peter Bowl and company and he was one of the first dancers to kind of do that New York city ballet dancers to right. sort of do that. Um, and, and he's been explore. on the podcast to talk about that, which was a really great episode too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah so, yeah, so maybe that also, um, is opening doors in a way too. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, there's so many, in a lot of ways, there's you can, if you sit and look at names, it seems like there's a lot of people. But then when you get down to it, it's like how many of these people are either available or want to leave where they are because a lot of them already have um, are running important organizations. And mm-hmm. and the other thing too that I think is important to consider is the generation mm-hmm. too. Like people, mm-hmm. like the ones you were mentioning, uh, are all of that like generation they can't really you know they want someone who's going to run the organization for a long time so i don't think they're going to want to go much above um that generation don't you think in age right yeah yeah it's interesting that no one checks all the boxes mm-hmm. so that's what makes it an interesting rat race yeah because totally. <laughs> you've got you know you have things ideal things like worked with balancing well that's getting to be less and less and like you mm-hmm. said people are getting older and older so the youngest generation that really worked with him is going to be in their sixties. Mm-hmm. Is that okay for the board? Do they mm-hmm. want someone younger than that? How um, old was Peter was like in his third forties. He was in his thirties. That's what I thought. Yeah. He was so yeah. young. I think he was 35. Mm-hmm. That's which is insanely young, but that's crazy. Can you, you know? imagine all that pressure? Ugh. Justin is 30 and certainly his name has been bandied about as well mm-hmm. because you have like you have people you have like I say these these lists of things that we want right we want a, ba- a balancing person well 
you know, there are only so many people that fit that category now and they're getting older. Then you have choreographers Mm -hmm. and that's like Justin, Alexi, Chris, and they all tend to feel at least like people that are more interested in the creative process. Like, I don't know that they have artistic director ambitions because what, I mean, in a way, why why would you, if you're them, like they have unlimited creative power and um, autonomy over what they produce and get to do. And then if you're, you're an artistic director, you're, you're putting like a hundred other things on your plate that maybe aren't like your favorite. Right. So, so then you have, that issue with choreographers. Then you have what's what's next on our list? What other? Oh, um, well, the artistic leadership, and that's what's interesting too. Is like, and you have you want directors, right? And like, like well, Justin, and I was just thinking, Justin. I mean, I guess that they would. I'm sure they would consider his current position as the you know being part of the interim team mm-hmm. as that. Oh, sure. But you know, had it not been for that, you know. If you know, if they hadn't put that in place and Justin hadn't been a part of that, he I'm sh- he would still be in the running, even though he hadn't, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, been an artistic director of any sort or been in that role before. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's yeah, the artistic oh, something director, else yeah. that's that's interesting. They are keeping uh, the idea that the person is running both organizations. Yes. So <clears throat> obviously, Balanchine was the head of. New York City Ballet and the School of American Ballet, as was Peter, rather than separate those um, titles at this point, they're they're committed to having someone run both the company and the school. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a challenge. Like that's not an interest again. So they're they're really looking for someone to wear all the hats. Right. But willing to make exceptions in choreography. Right. And and like they mentioned this article, so we should we should say that the article is uh, New York Times by Michael Cooper. Uh, the article is called Who Should Run City Ballet? A Job Posting Explained. And so Michael Cooper talks about how important Balanchine said, and then first a school. That's a very famous quote of his. So it's, you know, important. You can tell it's important to them to keep that part of history where the connection between the school and the company was very important to Balanchine. And that's something that they want to continue with um, for generations to come. So we can, you know, there's a lot of interesting things, nods to history. And then like you're saying, stepping away from history um, by not having a choreographer, for example, and changing the name of the job. So, you know, it's just so interesting. And I'm so curious to see when all of this is going to unfold. It just seems like there's not a lot of news um, Mm -hmm. happening other than this job posting was interesting, but then it's Mm -hmm. kind of silent after that. Well, I think that that the job posting is like, it's out there now for people to start throwing their names in the ring. And mm-hmm. is that an expression? Hat in the ring. Throw names in the, throw your name in the, what is it? In the pot. pot. <laughs> <laughs> to put their names in the running, I think is what you're looking go. for. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I would, I mean, of course, like the T. Lover and me wants them to do what PNB did, which I thought was a totally bizarre um, PR move. Mm-hmm. But they released a top five, yes, and then um, narrowed it down. Did Miami City Ballet release a top three, or was no, it not public? We knew, we knew, we the knew top it wasn't public. Three, but it was. Sh- <laughs> it was not public. Well, actually, I don't, I don't remember. 
Now, the top two maybe was out in public. I thought but, that there was I, – I, it's well, so hard I to know because we were so involved in it, obviously. But I, I know that at least publicly after Edward has said that Jennifer Cronenberg was his – pick to succeed him right he said that maybe. recently so maybe that's in, in articles about dimensions dance theater mm-hmm. which um so this might be a nice time to segue out of yeah our first well actually talk and you had something more to no i was talk. just that is a wonderful segue but the other way that i wanted to continue this conversation is that there are some new things that are happening at new york city valley already yes. since peter's left one of which is having some of these um Balanchine dancers come back and start coaching the dancers and like you're about to say um, Edward Valella is going to be I guess starting on September 2nd or I forget what yeah, yeah that's what they said I think yeah that he's going to be working with Patricia McBride and coaching Ruby's at New York City Ballet which is what you're also referencing so yeah yeah it's great I think um, and that's just such a it's so interesting to look at these things from a, a political standpoint too. It's just like it was the easiest thing to do politically and artistically. It's just going to make everyone happy. That's like the totally. probably the number one complaint about the Martins administration was that the older balancing dancers were completely cut out. Mm-hmm. So now just like a very easy way to assuage people's fears, both the dancers and the audience members uh, about the the organization, you know, crumbling under her new leadership, the the interim team, like the first thing that they've been doing is bringing back these um, older dancers. And I know that there, there are talks to do more things. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, Patty McBride, this is her second time coming back. She initially coached um, Coppelia and Beza de la Fay, I think. Mm-hmm. And now she'll be back with Edward doing rubies and, Though it's not set, he also will be coaching Prodigal Son at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a date for it. Yeah, he, but um, well, what's really yeah. crazy to me is like, and we talked to some dancers about this when we were in Vale. That I mean, these people have had ve- already incredible careers. All these dancers in New York City Ballet, incredible careers, danced incredible ballets, and then it's like they're stepping in the studio with Edward Valella for the first time. It just seems so funny to us. Like not yeah. funny, but so, so strange that like we've had that, had that opportunity that seems so um, normal to us and not just Edward, of course, like Patricia too, Patty McBride and you know, all these people that came down to work with us and just something mm-hmm. they haven't had the experience to have happen yet. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how they feel that um, changes their dancing. Yeah. It's going to, yeah, I'm sure they're all going to, it's going to be great for them. Yeah. That, this moment, this is a, a moment of excitement. And if, if, when there is a new director picked, there will be a lot of pain involved too. Mm-hmm. Not for everyone, but, you know, it's change. Change is both good and bad. So, mm-hmm. but right now, this moment is, I think, exciting. Yeah, I think um, so too. And I hope that because it is getting, I mean, obviously it's making the dancers happy. It's something mm-hmm. that... um the ballet world has taken notice of and finds it exciting as well. And I hope it's something that will be a priority to continue because, you know, like we've been talking about too, generationally, there's just not so much time left. So the more we can get these people to spread as much knowledge as possible to our generation so that we can pass it on, you know, is so, so, so important. So I think mm-hmm. it's really exciting and we're obviously very I'm happy. Just gonna, 
And I'm just going to put it out there again. I've already said it, but bring back, hashtag bring back Suzanne. Bring back Suzanne. Someone commented that on our, we shared that. Yeah, let's do it. Um, If you're listening right now, use hashtag bring back Suzanne. (laughs) I, I think it would be like the single greatest moment of my life if I could see her for some reason, like just on that stage bowing again and, you know, having the whole audience like erupt for her. You know, like how special would that be? It would be so special. I, we were talking. Sorry, go ahead. You know, we were talking recently. We were like, so I think we were watching Vienna. I think maybe I was with Dana Applebaum and Evelyn, and we were just like, "Can Suzanne still do this? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, really bring back Suzanne? Like, just really put her in the, in the in the ball gown. Let's all cry and feel all the feelings and." Yeah. That's <laughs> so funny. I know. It life. would just I, it's so interesting too. I wonder what will happen. I mean, once they appoint someone, there's you've gotta think that there's gotta be a lot of celebration and, you know, big pomp and circumstance um coming around that. So I wonder if there would be included in that, you know, bringing some people back in that way and you know, making it's gonna be a so- big celebration. It's going to be so interesting. Oh, uh, one other thing that's in, that um, they mentioned that I thought was interesting mm-hmm. um, that I just saw. Where is it? But they said they're talking about eye for talent, blah, 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 having, you know, being able to hire ballet masters and dancers, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But it also said something about deputy artistic directors. There we go. Oh. Resident uh, at NYCB, right. supervise and recruit as needed a highly qualified and cohesive artistic staff, including ballet masters, resident choreographers, and possibly one or more deputy artistic directors. Like, could we see like a cute little political moment of, you know, take, you know, you take the uh, runner up and give them VP. Yeah. That sort of thing. <laughs> like, do we get, do we get all the, all, all the, the people. people. I mean, like why maybe, not? Maybe that would be the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about that, I think. We talked um, about it on the podcast for sure, I think. Did we talk about like our our fantasy? Yeah. Throw was, it back out there again. What was it? I forget who we appointed like technical artistic director. But we would then have branches of things where like Suzanne would would be like the custodian of the balancing works. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what her title is, but that's what she's in charge of balancing. Mm-hmm. And Justin leads the charge for new works. And then you have someone who's like a more of a figurehead rather than that person just, you know, doing all the work. Right. And that's like goes back to what you were saying about ballet master. Like they're the ballet master for those things, but not necessarily in the studio teaching every ballet and in that way that we know the term ballet master, but you know, overlooking it, helping with programming saying, how can we make sure that we're balancing all of the, because then you, of course, I think one thing we talked about is having another wing for Robins. You'd have a balancing Newark Robins um, wings that all then come together and work together to, um, right. Kind, yeah. you know, I mean, create someone, programming, casting, all right. of that. Yeah. And then that's like someone's real priority. If Suzanne's there to care for it, she she will be specifically looking out and saying, hey, wait, but like we haven't done X ballet in a decade. I think that we should bring this back. Mm-hmm. I th- you know, and then it's like more like a little political chess game, right? That you yeah. get to everyone has their own 
priorities that they're trying to negotiate for rather than one person's just up playing God. And of course we're fallible. So if that person makes, they're more likely to make a mistake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, also I think but, but um, if you have more people bolstering one position, yeah. then you can oversee more naturally. Well, it's like the artistic director having a, advisors essentially, you know, mm-hmm. other people who are in the studios. A lot. And of course I'm sure artistic directors do look to ballet masters, ballet mistresses for those, you know, mm-hmm. on occasion. But again, like you're saying, it ends up always being, it, it can end up being just the artistic director's decision. So if it, if it can be a little more like, instead of just one person looking out over as a dancer, looking out on your whole life and if they like you, great. If they don't, terrible then if there's like a few more people you know that everybody can or and someone can help turn you around on a dancer too Mm -hmm. you know we've talked about that a lot i think that the idea of artistic director as god figure Mm -hmm. has just been built in and not only accepted but sort of idolized right in that way of like they should be able to do all this. They should be um, whatever. They should be able to encompass all these things. Whereas, like, I don't think they should. But that's, you know, I, I mean, we've talked about that yeah. too. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, it's good to have, to share the wealth. And I think you'll be more productive yeah. rather than jack of all trades, master of none. Right. Well, and I think there's such a specific skill set, which we've also talked about for our artistic director that, you know, you have to be doing so many things, managing so many people that it only makes sense to have help. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I would be awful at raising money. I think, okay. you know, if you put yourself in, in you know, you, I think you'd be business. Maybe we are artistic director team. Are we? I'll be yes. the business and you be artistic. <laughs> well, obviously you'll, you'll be artistic too, but I'm just like, <laughs> I will advise you. I'll be like, Michael, you're it'll be just like someone. conversations on dance. We'll both do. The artwork, and then you just also do all the business. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, are we gonna? Is that our next step for our podcast to have a conversations on dance ballet company? Yeah. Oh, I like that. Okay. Who's funding us? I don't know. I think that if, well, sadly, I think if we were good at business, we'd probably have more money. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know. Oh, well. That's so cool. All right. Well, let's end on that. Let's end on that great note. Let us know if anyone wants to fund us, our new ballet company coming soon. (laughs) Feel free to send us some cash. We've got, we've got Venmo, PayPal. You like our show. Whatever's convenient. (laughs) No, but we do love our listeners and we love everybody for sticking with us when it's just the two of us and for supporting Mm -hmm. the podcast always. And we love hearing from you. So keep it up. And we we have great things coming out. I'm really excited about a lot of the episodes. Yeah, I mean, we have so many episodes left. We've got a lot in the can there. And then from in Dale, all- from San Francisco and um, some other things up our sleeves. So we're yeah. really excited to share with everyone soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Mikey. Right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rebecca. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope that you take a moment to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we are always posting unique content in honor of each week's guest. And click over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Those five stars really go a long way in helping us continue to grow the podcast and our brand. See you next week on Conversations on Dance.
softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.